0: When did you ever attend a funeral? And hear the minister say something like this. For all of his life he has struggled with a dreadful affliction. An affliction called sin. And he was tempted many times and that temptation was very, very great. And sometimes he even yielded to the temptation from time to time. And and he was frequently on his knees. He was engaging in spiritual warfare because he was battling against his own human flesh and his old sinful nature which was constantly trying to bring him down. And he went to church and worshipped God and read the scriptures and sought the Lord for the mortification of the sin that dwelt within him. But now he is free and all of his sin and his sorrow and his misery is over and he has finally been set free from sin. What a great gain that is. Welcome to the Semper Reformative Podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. So, I want to ask a question. Where do wars come from? It's not the question that we usually ask when we're talking about conflict. Sure, it's not. The more common question is, who's to blame? Who started it? Back in the 1970s, I was directed to an army base in a town in County Down where there was a report of a fight taking place. And I have to say, seldom have I seen a more bitter conflict. It was two women, probably in their 20s, and they'd had a significant amount of alcohol imbibed. And they had fallen out with each other over their mutual interest in a soldier. And when I arrived, along with a colleague, there was already bloodshed because they'd been wearing stiletto heels. And they'd taken the stiletto heels off and were using them as weapons. And I said to the senior constable who was with me, what are you going to do? And he says, get back into the Land Rover and we'll call for backup. So we did. And eventually, when we got some people there and we got the two ladies separated and the questions began to start and then the accusations came. He said, she said, he did this and she did that. Who started it. But in our passage of scripture tonight, James isn't asking the usual question. He's not saying who started this, who starts wars and conflicts. He's asking, where do they come from? Now, if you ask people where war comes from, they will probably say that war comes from our enemies, from Russia or China or North Korea. Or maybe in an earlier generation, they would say war came from Germany. Or maybe in Northern Ireland here, war came from the IRA. But all of that is entirely superficial. And in a forensic examination of the motives and attitudes and desires of the human heart, James in this passage gets right down to the very heart of the issue. And I mean literally the heart of the issue. He gives us an insight into where war and conflict comes from. To what leads to strife and discord and feuds and conflicts and quarrels and fightings. So let's look at the text for a few moments this evening and see if we can learn something from it. Let's think, first of all, that the Apostle makes two specific observations. The first is peculiar to the church. And the second, while relevant to the church, is a more general observation. I want you to see the war that is among you. Wars and fightings among you, says James. And then the war that is within you. Where he says, come they not even of the lusts that war in your members? And then lastly, the war between you and your creator. In verse 4, where he says that whosoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So the war that is among you, from whence come wars strong language, isn't it? War. James is using hyperbole, and he's teaching his readers about the tensions and the disagreements, very often bitter disagreements, that are actually frequently found among Christians. Remember, he's writing to the scattered church. He's writing to believers, to saints, to churches that are scattered throughout the whole of the Roman Empire. He's not writing just to ethnic Jews, but to the completeness of God's whole church when he addresses the letter to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. In chapter 1, and verse 1, he's writing to Christians, to all of us. And you would immediately say, but that should never be so. Surely the Christian church, the local assembly, ought to always be a place of peace. We are, after all, brothers and sisters in Christ. It should be a place of brotherly love. And yet, realistically, you will have to agree with me that that rarely is the case. Over the last couple of millennia, disagreements and splits and schisms have been a constant feature in the history of the church and local churches are no different. Why Christians who profess to have known the grace of God in their lives, who profess to be following the Saviour who is the very Prince of Peace would be involved in such bitter rancour and quarrel is a mystery that James is going to cast some light on. It is totally the opposite of what ought to be the true Christian nature. There's a precedent set in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. It's the story that Jesus tells. It's a parable. Peter had come to him and he'd said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Our Lord went on to illustrate that. He told a story about a king, a king who wanted to settle his accounts with those who owed him money. And one man in particular owed the king a vast sum. He couldn't pay the debt, His debt was so great that it could never, ever be paid off. And justly, he was to be punished by imprisonment. His wife and his children would be sold into slavery. His possessions would be confiscated. In despair, he threw himself on the mercy of the king and he pleaded for forgiveness. The king was moved with compassion. Compassion. And he released him and forgave him all of his debts. But then that same servant encountered another servant who owed him some money. It was a paltry sum, just a few pence. We're told in the parable that the first servant took him by the throat And demanded immediate payment. And the fellow servant pleaded for forgiveness. But the wicked servant had him arrested. And thrown into prison. Until all the debt was paid. When other servants saw what had happened. They reported it to the king. And the king took drastic and immediate action. Let's go back to those words of Jesus. He said. Then his Lord, after that he had called him and said to him, O thy wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldst not thy also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Jesus using that parable to illustrate how Christians should regard each other, should forgive each other when they perceive that they have been provoked or offended by other Christians. The true Christian nature is to be willing to offer forgiveness to those who repent and who plead for forgiveness, just as the Lord Jesus has freely forgiven us. And in fact, he issues a stern warning to those who refuse to forgive. He says, And his Lord was wrath, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses, it's why when we pray the lord's prayer we say forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us so james's first element in this discussion is to be realistic about christians christians throughout the world christians throughout the ages we are different we have different personalities We will clash. We are to forgive one another. From whence come wars and fightings among you. And then he goes on to talk about the war that is within you. Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. Let me say right away that every single Christian has a war going on within him. her. Every Christian has an internal struggle. It's a kind of a dichotomy because we're taught as Christians that we have the peace of God indwelling us. And yet at the same time, there is a war going on within us. We have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And yet within the Christian, there is a mighty battle. There is a struggle taking place, a daily battle against sin. The war that occurs in our members, the war that is causing us to be at conflict within ourselves. And it continues and it never ceases until we're at home in heaven with the Lord. I know that if you go to a funeral service these days, you will very often hear a very great tribute to the person who has passed away. Sometimes they will tell you what a great man he has been, what a great father. What a great husband. What a great worker. What an honourable person. Sometimes these things are even true. When did you ever attend a funeral and hear the minister say something like this? For all of his life he has struggled with a dreadful affliction. An affliction called sin. Sin. And he was tempted many times and that temptation was very, very great. And sometimes he even yielded to the temptation from time to time. And and he was frequently on his knees. He was engaging in spiritual warfare because he was battling against his own human flesh and his old sinful nature which was constantly trying to bring him down. And he went to church and worshipped God and read the scriptures and sought the Lord for the mortification of the sin that dwelt within him. But now he is free and all of his sin and his sorrow and his misery is over and he has finally been set free from sin. What a great gain that is. I haven't heard that at a funeral service, have you? I have a notion. I might go and see an undertaker and leave him a message and say that whoever is taking my funeral service, I don't want them to talk about me except in the context that I'm a sinner. But if that were said, it would be true because if you're not having that battle, there's something wrong with your Christian faith. The Puritans and the Reformers called it the mortification of the flesh. Paul the Apostle describes it for us in that classic passage in Romans 7 when he bewails the sin that dwells within him, his sinful nature which brings all sorts of temptations and challenges before him daily. And he writes in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, For to will is present with me. I want to do what I want to do. Not what God wants me to do. And he says, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Paul, admitting that he's a sinner, as we all are. Born as sinners and continuing to sin right throughout our lives. James this passage even lists some of those temptations that we constantly struggle with in verse 2 to verse 3. In a series of logical steps, he describes the sin and the lusts that war within our within our soul, within our hearts. He talks about lust. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill. Desire to have and cannot obtain. We lust because of distrust. Ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain ye fight and war, and yet ye have not because ye ask not, and he talks about wrong motives. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts, and he talks about worldliness Far too much affinity and friendship with the world, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? And he gives the antidote for this. Constant warring, this battle that's going on in our lives. He says... God gives more grace. We need an infusion of God's grace daily to help us in the war against our own sinful hearts. There's a battle going on within us. And then thirdly and finally, there's a war that's going on between us and God, verse 4, says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And here we come to that general point I was telling you about. Of tonight James has been talking about subject specific to the Christian, hasn't he? About the church, the war that goes on among us. About the Christian's life, the prayer life of the Christian, the mortification of sin, the war that goes on within us between the flesh and the the renewed human spirit, the soul. And now he goes on to talk about a war that's going on between the human race and its creator, the very root cause of all human conflicts, the general point that Jude observes here for all wars, whether it's a tiff in a local congregation, whether it's a boundary dispute with a neighbor, whether it's the wee fellow next door kicking his ball into your garden and ruining your delphiniums, or whether it's a major conflict between nations and states. The root cause of every war and every conflict is exactly the same. It is rebellion against God. In some way, everyone who is in conflict with others is at war within themselves because at their heart they are at war with God every one of us are rebels we're fighting we're struggling and we're warring against the one who created us and who by divine right as our Creator has decreed how we should live in order to please him in order to have continual fellowship with him both in time and in eternity The one who gave us his law and whose law we have broken, whose rule over us we have rejected, whose governance over us we have spurned, whose will for us we do not wish to obey. We want to do what we want to do. We want to follow our own paths. We want to follow our heart. We want to do what pleases us. Last night, the National Commemoration of Remembrance took place in the Royal Albert Hall, and it was beamed on your television sets across the nation. Did you watch it? The religious observance was led by a woman bishop who prayed for the dead. And it was followed by a Hindu recitation. And if you listen to the Hindu recitation, it was the very opposite of Christianity. It was all about works, karma, getting what you deserve, following your desires, finding your inner peace. And that was followed by a rendition of a song by Leonard Cohen, a Jewish philosopher. And then up popped the bishop again with a blessing. We are in rebellion against God. My friends, we are in rebellion against God as a nation. We're in rebellion against God as a people. And we must deal with that because the basic rebellion against God is the root cause of every single conflict and every single war. When you hear on the news the latest update on Ukraine, who gets the blame? Putin or Biden? Perhaps, but the easily identifiable source of every war, conflicts, big or small, is the condition of the rebellious human heart. Now, there is a solution to this. There is a solution. And I'm going to tell you from James here exactly what the solution is, because it's staring us right in the face in verse 7. And it is this we must surrender. We must surrender to God because god is going to win the battle we must surrender because the battle is already the lord's now, i'm a proud ulster man i'd be the first to say it from i was no age i could walk up and down the Shankill road in belfast and i could shout no surrender with the rest of them from i was no age it's bred into us we're proud we won't give in we won't surrender we're thrown but there's a war we're not going to win and it's the rebellion that's going on in our hearts against God and the only way that that rebellion can be brought to an end is for us to bow our knee before our Creator and say I surrender we are to submit to God look at it says verse 7 submit yourselves therefore to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And look how we come. We can't come to God claiming anything of ourselves. We're to come with humble repentance. We're to come, in verse 9, as the afflicted, and we're to mourn and weep and let our laughter be turned to mourning and our joy to heaviness. We to come as humble, repentant sinners, and bow the knee before our Creator, and say, "Lord, I've been at enmity with You. I have loved this present world and its attractions far too much, and I come now to Christ. I come as a sinner to the Lord Jesus. He died for me on the cross. I'm weeping over my sins. I'm sorry." And I repent. Verse 10 tells us, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You know, there's an awful lot of people in this world who think that you have to do your best. Take what opportunities are given to you and you make the best of them and you do you get your goal and your vision in life and you go after it and you, you press ahead and, and, and you do it your way. No. It's time the rebellion was ended. Come to the Lord and humble yourself and admit you're a sinner and surrender to him and he will lift you up. He will do what you can't do he will set your feet in heavenly places. So that's James's argument. There's a war between you because there is a war within you. And if there's a war within you, it's probably because there's a war between you and God. And the answer to that is when that, those things seem to prevail, God gives more grace a simple remedy cast ourselves upon the goodness and the grace of God, God's unmerited favour, that undeserved love that sent his only begotten son into this world to die on the cross for sinners surrender to God and he will lift you up and the dichotomy is solved that seeming contradiction How can a Christian have peace in his heart and war in his members? Because when we have the peace of God dwelling in our hearts, we're no longer enemies with God. We are enemies with sin. And the battle with sin goes on until the day when we are lifted up and brought to heaven and home And we send no more. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.